You're listening to Sound Sausage. I just wanted to add one thing. You know, we can um, really break down that fit fourth wall and Let's let people know put a pin what in goes that. into making radio. <laughs> I'm so not used to doing this live. Is there anything about you want us to listen for specifically? Lightning strikes. Lightning strikes. <laughs> Inspiration. <laughs> oh, it's lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Sausage is getting made right now. <laughs> okay. This is Sound Sausage. I'm JP Davidson. I'm Kelly Jones. And we're joined this week by Brian Colley. Hi, I'm here. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Brian started off, like a lot of us, on campus and community radio. Yeah. He spent about four or five years really trying to hone his craft and learn his voice. He then got asked to work at the BAMP Center on their podcast, and he's done a lot of podcasts on his own. Or he produced a podcast called Wellversed. Brian really wants to tell the kind of radio stories that... Showcase how... Radio is this super intimate medium that is really good at transporting listeners. And if a producer wants to, they can really use that to inspire listeners. One of the big reasons we wanted to have you on the show was to talk about uh, a sound design because you, you have a fair bit of experience uh, designing intros for shows and doing, doing some of the music for shows. And I guess right off the bat, maybe we should get our, get our language straight. Do you, do you call what you do sound design? Yeah, I think I include everything sort of in sound design. Like to me, music, effects, voices, foley, anything that makes a noise I, I see as an instrument. If you're playing around, if you're manipulating the sound beyond just making it sound good, I consider that like you're designing it. You're trying to bring something more out of it. What's the general purpose of sound design if it's more than just making something sound good. It's all about enhancing the emotion that's kind of already there. I, I, th I got into radio because I realized it has such an emotional quality to it. Sound design is best when it does one of two things. It, A, brings you into a space where you go, okay, now I'm there with the person or characters or whoever's going to be delivering the message and I'm there emotionally following the person who's going to be giving that message and two to like I said further just enhance that emotion just just keep you in that place one of the pieces of sound design that you've done recently is the intro to broadcasting Canada and Kelly and I have both listened to it and really enjoyed it. Can you tell us a, a bit about, about that? Just introduce it for us, and then we'll give it a listen. Yeah, this is the Intro to Broadcasting Canada, um, Kevin Canner's project. Basically, the whole purpose is to kind of be a one-minute summary of what the entire series, which is a conversation, a poignant conversation about the necessity for a national broadcaster. Okay, here's the intro to... Broadcasting Canada. From coast to coast on CBC Radio and around the world on short waves. This is Thatcher until you came to power. Welcome to Indian Magazine. It was one of the most turbulent nights in the career of Lester B. Pearson. And before you, as an example of what a mate he is. Parting women's editor, Kate Hello, everyone. Stuart McLean joins me now. Good morning. Marley Mowat is a young writer who today, sometime in the issue of the Canada. He first saw that part of this is James Bennett. 
some people worry the CBC is going to disappear. And say that public broadcasting is, is critical to the cultural life of this country. Public broadcasting can link our country together and link us together as citizens. I think it's time. Public, public broadcasting, broadcasting is, is, is critical. I love the idea of connecting Canada through conversation. Maybe it's time for us to really think hard about the way that communication is done in this country and the role of CBC in that. And it has a great respect, respect for how does country. the world work? Canada. People worry the CBC is going to disappear. One country Radio is culture, science, sound. Halifax, Canada, Montreal, this country, field Toronto, too. We're at the CBC. CBC. Broadcasting Canada. Canada. Kelly, do you have do you have first thoughts after hearing that? Yeah, I my first thoughts are basic. Like I want to know about the process, the sort of soup to nuts, or in this case, soup to sausage method that went into producing this. This thing is, like, there's a lot of people who have worked on broadcasting Canada, but it's totally Kevin's brainchild. And so for me, the biggest thing was figuring out how much of a concept he already had. Very quickly, I got to this idea of the intro should be a timeline from basically CBC old to CBC new or CBC current. And it should finish off with this kind of sense of urgency and that was something Kevin really was stressing he goes I really want their listeners to have a sense of urgency around CBC and that its future is in jeopardy and so I then went and started getting a bunch of old clips from CBC archives once I started hearing those and the voices and the musicality in those voices, I started looking through music libraries to find a song that had a pace that was matching those voices and also had this build to it to further enhance that sense of urgency. And then Kevin came up with this great idea that if the voices actually say Broadcasting Canada... And then I made the suggestion of, yeah, like if we start hearing broadcasting Canada or the words broadcasting in Canada more and more and more, and it builds and the voices create this sort of cacophony, and then it just falls out at the end. Then we started just getting clips from the interviews. And that was another big thing I thought. I always was saying to him, I go, we should include clips from the interviews that you've already done. And this is actually something... Um, Paolo Pietropalo told me, he goes, people love it when they hear something and they don't completely understand it. They think they have an idea. And then later on in the show, they hear that again, but they hear it in context. And that sense of recollection is just a very welcoming, heartwarming kind of feeling. And it establishes this really nice trust. And it's also a great way to signpost. This thing is about a minute long. And, and we've talked in the, in the past about sort of the, the amount of, of work that goes into uh, making radio. But this is, this is the most labor-intensive minute, you know, of any radio show. Like, how, how much work do you think went into this altogether? All I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds great. And I think that's probably because you put a huge amount of work into it. Oh, ah, thank you, first of all. The intro, I just think, is the most important um, 30 seconds or minute of an entire show 
just because it's going to be there every single show, I think its core purpose is to help a listener decide, do I or don't I continue to listen? Like, it's got to grab them. So the amount of time I put into it is it was probably it was over a month of back and forth. And I would say between the conversations and everything, I'd say like 35 hours, probably something like that. A minute might be considered long by some standards for, for an intro. Um, where, do, where do you come down on that kind of question? I totally agree. Like when it was when it was done and it was a minute, I was like, oh, my God. And I was really nervous, and I still am, about how people are going to perceive that. I don't. It's not something that I would normally do. I kept trying to cut things down. I kept cutting the song. Like, there's so much throughout that song that is cut that just... I was like, okay, this bar repeats, cut it. This bar repeats, cut it. Like... It was a lot of that. My general thing would be to shoot for um, no more than 30 seconds. Like, that's my general rule. But someone someone in the past said to me once in a while, like, you have your rules, but break them. And, I mean, the, the interstitials, um, so it took just a very, very short clip. I think the last, like, five seconds of that intro and they kind of will cut up parts of the episodes. They're one of the sound ideas. Can you talk about that a bit? Because I've I've tried doing interstitial uh, stuff on on some of the podcasts and things I've worked on, and sometimes it works, and and sometimes it's like, what's happening? Why am I hearing <laughs> this music or these sounds for you know for ten seconds, and then we're on to the next thing? Is there a strategy that goes into putting those things together? They have their their purpose is like super utilitarian. I mean, when I make them, I like to think of it as like a bar of music that could stand alone, something that could possibly be looped. But I really think it has, it has to have like a like a beginning, middle, and an end, like a lead up. Because if it sounds too much like just like you've cut into the middle of something, that just creates like you said like this weird feeling of like what. Where did this come from? People even subconsciously, I think, really tune in to a lot of sounds. Like we're walking around and we're hearing countless numbers of sounds throughout the day. And a lot of them cue things kind of like the bell and Pavlov's dog. And we don't even realize it. So if you think about that in radio terms, it's like channel change. Okay, your brain just realized we're switching things. Yeah, even song song changes. So if you have a bed of music under an interview and you go, now we're going to switch topics, your your whole change and transition can be as simple as a fade out and fade in of new music. I mean, audiences are very intelligent and I think they they go, "Oh, okay, a change in song. So we're we're changing now. We're we're moving on." You used that that method in uh in the piece you did about puppets. I found that the transition between sections using music was was really skillfully done in that. Oh, thank you. We should hear a clip from the the piece. We don't we don't have time to play the whole thing, but um, can you just introduce it and, and tell us uh, tell us what it's about? Yeah. So every year at the Bamp Center, the old Trout Theater 
comes and does a workshop series, and I was invited to spend some time with them. This piece contains three people who participated in the workshop, two people who participated, one who's an organizer, and it was produced for the BAMP Center podcast series. Okay, here it is. He's a little, a little Yeti, and he's about a foot high. I don't know exactly what he is. He might be kind of a spaceman, um, a medieval astronaut, some sort of robot. That is Chris Duthie. I'm an actor, and I am a performance creator. Entangle Quran. I'm a participant in the Banff Puppetry Intensive Workshop. They build puppets. There's some twinkle in the eye. There's some shape of the nose. Puppet talks back to you. And they give life to puppets. You just do what the puppet tells you. In January, they spent time at the BAMP Center learning about puppetry. My name is Juanita Dawn. With people like Juanita Dawn. I am facilitating the open studio at Puppet Intensive 2012. Before I came to this workshop, I had a very different view of puppets. Puppetry, a lot of people think of it and they think of Muppets or they think of hand puppets for little kids. Modern puppetry, though, is really in a state of renaissance, in a state of evolution. The puppet intensive is this crazy, um, Ugh, what would you call it? It's uh, it's basically a two week of two weeks of crazy puppet chaos. It's an interactive course. It's a wonderful time to focus for an artist to be able to completely immerse in an art form. Puppetry combines lots of different mediums. It combines theater, it combines visual art, it combines movement. So it just, it's a magical combination. It's making, um, it's making a moving, magical installation. Revolutionary things, pushing the boundaries of uh, what we understand as theater and what we understand as art. It's an absolutely amazing way to make art come alive. Really, really fun, and it's an incredibly concentrated learning environment. I think I compared it at one point to drinking out of a fire hose because there's so much information coming at you and you're doing so much and you're working so much hour, so many hours. It really is an intensive. There's time to eat, there's barely time to sleep, and there's time to do puppets. You said doing puppets. What is doing puppets? It's all to put all of the focus onto this object or this puppet, this thing that you were trying to give life. On the SoundCloud version of that piece, our third host, Sean Rasmussen, commented that he really liked the pacing of it. And so I was wondering if you could talk, Brian, a little bit about how you 
designed things to feel sped up or slowed down? If you could talk a little bit about the general pacing of it. The nice thing about that podcast episode was I was working with three performers, and so they very easily got inside their heads and had their own their own pace and their own contemplative tone. I tried to find stuff that fit that. Um, and then the next thing was because all of their voices were cut relatively short into tiny clips, um, a lot of it was moving it just around the beats and the bars of music. So this kind of seems like a trend with you that you use music as your grid sort of more than maybe time. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, yeah. Um, describing it as a grid is actually a really good way of even visualizing it because in, in music you can, you can see where the beats hit and uh, sometimes I look at a song and I go, okay, here's a really good place for the music to come up. Like, here's a really great crescendo. And so I know, okay, do everything I can to end voices there, just to have even a pause there. Do you make this music or do you find it? And if you find it, where do you find it? <laughs> everything I've done so far, I've found. I've moving a lot and dragging my piano around is just, like, too difficult the site I tend to use a lot is uh, Free Music Archive. And there's one particular artist on there whose stuff I love. His name is uh, Chris Dobrinsky. And he's he's the musician you hear in the Puppet podcast. I think I use all of his stuff. I find scoring a piece can be so time-consuming. Does choosing music take you a long time? Or have you, have you refined the process at all? It definitely is... A time-consuming process, and I think, I think trying to rush that or not give it the time it deserves, I think, is is something people just shouldn't do. I think if you've taken a piece and you go, okay, I want there to be music in this, and then it's the wrong piece, like that's just very unsettling to audiences. I definitely have a process, and it's writing down as much as I can about what's going on in in the context of the piece before I pick the music. So if I can write down emotions, and that's pretty standard, you know, this is this is what this thing sort of says emotionally. Um, are the are the people upset? Are they happy? Does it have a resolute tone to it? Does it have a more questioning kind of unfinished business end to it and then when I start to write those things down sometimes if I'm lucky I can actually start attributing musical instruments to the thing so you so you would say this feels like it needs a piano piece totally so if you if you can start attributing instruments that's that's great and I feel like that that's something that comes out of practice and that helps speed things up You've just gone, I've done this so many times. I know this I, instrument's going to sound good. The Avalanche podcast, which you also did at the Banff Center. Can you tell us a bit about this uh, this piece and maybe just introduce it and we'll play it? Every year there is an Avalanche seminar that gets put on because 
avalanche awareness is crucial to avoiding deaths. And this is a really, really serious thing that happens out in Banff and Lake Louise areas. And I was sort of new to the whole thing. And so I was tasked with taking this very, very long seminar and condensing it into something smaller and consumable because the Banff Center was stressing how important it was for these messages to get out. Two gentlemen decided to go skiing. They looked at the picture, they read the avalanche bulletin. This was their first run of the day. And then one of them turned around and said to his partner, look how fast that cloud's moving. Yeah, that was an avalanche. Hi, I'm Brian Colley, and this BAM Center podcast could save your life. Today's podcast is all about avalanche safety. I've dug up quite a few people and none of them have been alive. That was Mike Henderson from Parks Canada. You'll hear more from him later. On January 22nd, Mike and several other experts came to the BAM Centre to talk about skiing and snowboarding in the backcountry, avalanche awareness courses, and how to protect yourself while enjoying mountain ranges in the winter. Today you'll hear some of those talks and hopefully be a little bit more aware. First, some avalanche facts. In Canada, there are over 700 reported deaths occurring due to avalanches. 400 of those deaths have occurred since 1970, and 90% of the people who have died have been recreationists. Avalanches start traveling at an average speed of 40 kilometers an hour, and when airborne can reach speeds of over 200 kilometers an hour. Later in the episode, you'll learn how to avoid ever being near such a force. First, we'll hear from a professional backcountry skier, an avalanche professional. He'll tell you a story about how skiing in the backcountry requires years of training, lots of patience, it can be a ton of fun if done properly. Here's Kevin Haritas. All right, well, uh, thank you for having me. So the, the avalanche piece is specifically for people at Banff and in the area. Um, and I'm wondering if constraints like who's going to listen and where they're going to listen and how you imagine them listening contribute to the design of your pieces. Well, for this one, there was one major constraint, and that's around how people were going to be listening. Um, Because the nice thing about the Banff Center is they have these amazing facilities. And so I was fortunate enough to be mixing on beautiful uh, $20,000 speakers. And so everything sounds incredible. And so I, I got this avalanche to the point where I was shaking the walls. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, this is awesome. And then um, another producer there who's doing a lot of sound for film walks in and he goes, that's fantastic. But this is a podcast and most people are going to be listening on a computer. So I had to kind of reconstruct a lot of things for that. So usually when I'm mixing, I have to remind myself. Um, and I did this for the Puppet podcast and I did this a lot for Broadcasting Canada was I would mix on my studio monitors, but then I would go and I'd listen through just my the speakers on my 15 inch macbook pro and listen through headphones so that was a big constraint the thing that was stressed to me was you you need to get people to listen to this because it really is a life or death scenario the thing they were saying was you have all these young people a a lot of people come from australia but people come from all over the world and they come here to ski and they 
and snowboard and they love getting into the backcountry, but it's extremely dangerous. And they said our challenge is like getting people to come out. But then the other thing with with specifically with this intro was I was going, I'm taking like, uh, I think it was a two hour seminar and cut it down to 25 minutes. And I was like, this is going to be so tedious. Just cut, 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 cut. Just just a ton of cutting. And so I thought, okay, the one thing that always needs to sound better is the intro. And I'm just going to have a ton of fun with this intro. The writing is really good and really gripping and goes with the music really well. So I'm, I'm curious, was it you found your clips, you wrote your narration, and then you scored it? Or was there any back and forth between the writing and the music selection? The part that I read, I, re, I rewrote that a lot because it was it was very important for me to to use active verbs and to say something that was short, but also carried the weight of what this podcast meant. I played around a lot with different songs, and I, I think I threw a bunch of them into the project and then just would listen to this one, listen to the next one. More than anything, I wrote to the story that the one speaker tells about this person just thinking they're looking at a big white cloud and then realizing, oh my God, it's an avalanche. Like basically this is death coming down a mountain for us. This is a perfect example of one of those things where there's an emotional weight to something and you have to respect it. Whatever I say and whatever I write and whatever I, music I put with this, it needs it needs to fit what they're saying. And you also don't get anything better than that. It's, it's, I, mean, I can't believe that this happens and this is real and this person is telling this story. Like the second I heard it, I was like, this is the most compelling thing that I've heard in, in these entire two hours. So just everything I can do to bring that out. So when you wrote to us about this piece initially, you said that you used about 20 tracks. And was that mostly you cutting the speeches to make that intro? Or was it five tracks of the speaker and then your intro and then, you know, 14 tracks of music? <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of different sounds. So there's like there's like a motorcycle in there. There's a couple different kinds of trees. There's an earthquake sound effect in there. Um, because what happened was is there was like in the sound library I had, and then I listened through a bunch of other ones. I listened to avalanches, and I was like, these all sound terrible. There's how things actually sound, and then there's how we think they sound. You know. We don't know what a breaking bone sounds like, but something about cracking a bunch of crisp celery sounds like a breaking bone. If you're if you're doing foley, walking through leaves is crumpling old cassette tapes. Like that to us is leaves. Why don't we use actual leaves? I don't know. So I was building an avalanche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I listened to the avalanches and then I thought, no, and the trees were actually added later and they really brought everything together because the first thing I thought was like rumbling, bassiness, and then uh, there's a couple different wind sounds. I think I took parts of someone recording like waves crashing. Uh, there was a couple sounds that were like I was reversing things, uh, stretching them, adding effects, 
so more than anything, yeah, the, the tracks are just layers and layers and layers of sound right at the beginning. Building an avalanche, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Um, where can people find uh, find your work online if they want to hear uh, the, the complete uh, story of the, the puppets or the avalanche? Um, the best place to find those pieces are on my SoundCloud. So it's just soundcloud.com slash Brian Colley. And if you want to get a better idea of my work, just my website, briancolley.ca. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Sound Sausage, a project of the Canadian Sound and Story Workshop. Find us online at soundstory.ca or on Facebook and Twitter. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and review us on iTunes. To have your piece featured on our podcast, drop us a line. Sausage at soundstory.ca. Until next time, keep grinding out those stories. <laughs>